You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 484, Bob Dylan's Fire Sale, why are some television viewers so gullible, and oh dear, Eric, Van and Stand and Deliver. That's all coming up after Free and Wishing Well. They released six studio albums, one live album, Mm. and 12 singles in three and a half years, from the spring of 69 to the winter of 72. That's a veritable spree of vinyl. Um, I remember how exciting this single sounded coming out of the radio towards the end of that run, a blockbuster of a record from December 1972, number seven in the UK on the top 40, free 
and wishing well. Comple- that is hitting. I completely agree. It's hitting the ground running, isn't it? To produce <laughs> produce all those records in that it's short incredible. amount. I feel so lazy every time I hear <laughs> about these people. And you know, Laura Marling doing seven albums by the time she yes. was thirty or whatever it is that she's done. I just think, of what am I doing with my life? It's lovely to talk to you, but there should be something else I'm doing. I'm <laughs> sure I'm not doing anything. Well, hello, and do make yourself at home. It's the latest from the uh, Parish Council. This is episode 484. I'm Terence Stackham. And, well, let's find out if she was invited to Kay Burley's birthday bender. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. I mean, I think it, my uh, my invitation must have got lost in this. Uh, ro- it's either in this Royal Mail backlog that with lots yeah. of us have experienced at the moment, or it might be in one of those Felixstowe containers, I think. I'm not sure where it is, but it's, it's, it's so Somewhere in the news that hasn't reached me. I have to say I'm very sad that Beth Rigby ended up going because uh, now's not the time for our public life to be without Beth Rigby's rigorous questioning for three months. It's it's. If I was at Sky News, I probably would have thrown something through a window. I think if I was an executive, it was it's not not enjoyable well, at all. It wasn't but, clever. But, no, it wasn't. And and to be fair, you know they they have said that. I I. I'm not, you know, as much as I, my my opinions of her and views of her have, have improved over the last few years, I'm not so surprised by Kay Burley's decision making. I am surprised and disappointed in Beth Rigby's decision making. Actually, I, I I would have credited her with more sense. But anyway, we are where we are, which is off Sky News for three and six months respectively. <laughs> the weird thing is, I'm off Sky News too. I'm not going to be on Sky News in the next few months. So at least that's the plan. Anyway, if I've appeared on Sky News, something has gone wrong. I don't want to appear in the news for any reason at the moment so uh, so yeah i wasn't at gay Burley's party oh, okay. and i'm not going to be on sky news i'm afraid but i am on the parish council and what more could i possibly want exactly there's there's nothing else to aim for frankly. no this, this i mean to be honest terence i feel that this is it for me so you know let's just it's let's just enjoy it whilst we're here yeah I, I remember back in the 1980s when mrs thatcher's government decided to raise some cash by selling off public assets that mm. uh, at that time the old tory grandee harold Macmillan criticized this using archaic terms but his meaning mm. was clear he said uh, and i quote very common with individuals and states when they run into financial difficulties to find they have to sell some of their assets first of all mm. the georgian silver goes then all that nice furniture that used to be in the saloon then the cadalettos go end of quote and it's rather like fontine selling her hair and teeth in les miserables you could only yes. do it once absolutely or joe in yeah. little women of course <laughs> then <laughs> then obviously once you've done that your assets are gone and I, I was reminded all of this um earlier in the week when we learned that bob dylan has sold his entire publishing catalogue to universal music that's mm. over 600 songs and it's reported to have netted uh, dylan about 300 million dollars that's about 225 million pounds in the uk the big question is of course why dylan surely must be as rich as croesus already so i don't understand why a fabulously wealthy and respected musician would do this at 79 years old What's it all about, Jules? I mean, this is the bit where the podcast is A, really short, and B, alienates at least 50% of our listenership, if not more. Because all I can say to you is, I don't know why Bob Dylan does anything. I don't really care why Bob Dylan does anything. He's just a grumpy old wang to me that wrote some great (laughs) songs. You know, that's kind of where I am on this. I know that we will get complaints. Guys, I'm sorry. I know he's important to you. I just, I I, I get Bob Dylan as a songwriter. I really do. And again, I was talking about three albums last week 
I could do you three albums of Bob Dylan that I couldn't live without, and I'd probably have a spare space, to be honest. I, I just, I, I, I struggle, I struggle with Dylan, and, um, and it's really strange, isn't it? Like when that weird situation where, where all the Beatles rights got sold in the mm. in the eighties or whatever it was, and and every time you bought a Beatles record, the money went to Michael Jackson or something yes. deeply, deeply peculiar. It's, it's, yeah. I just, I don't. I mean, Bob Dylan just seen. I don't know if it is um I don't know if this is Bob Dylan having spent a lot of money on stuff which I don't know he doesn't he doesn't seem he doesn't seem to have lived an openly wild rock and roll life mostly. Well, he's got two wives he's had several partners and he's got six children I don't well, know if may, that's got anything to do with Well that might I mean that that is more likely than than other explanations because he doesn't really at least not in public. He's not. You wouldn't necessarily say he was a rock and roll star in the sense of excess, particularly. He's not really had that much of a reputation, as far as I'm aware, for doing that sort of thing. But of course, if you've read a, if you've read a biography of Bob Dylan, that says something different. Feel free to mansplain it to me on the internet. But um, <laughs> but my my you know my view is that is that you know it must be some sort of. I'm really grumpy about this. I'm sorry. It must be must be some sort of a some sort of explanation. But part part of me thinks that Bob Dylan does stuff just because it makes no sense. I mean, why would you accept the Nobel Prize for Literature, be really rude in the way that you accept it, and then not bother to go and send Patty Smith instead, who admittedly was lovely. She did a really good job of, of, of you know, accepting it for him. I, I certainly feel they should have given it to her and or Joni Mitchell, personally. But anyway, they, you know, I, he, he just seems to be perverse for the sake of it. So part of me wonders, I think the alimony thing probably has something in it that feels like it that feels like it might be a thing but even if it isn't part of me just thinks either you know he's got some secret Fabergé egg habit that we don't know about or <laughs> he's just or he's just doing it for a wind up isn't he I get the impression that Bob Dylan is just on the wind up all the time I, I mean it, I, I love even though I'm probably not meant to and he was probably doing it with his tongue firmly and cheap Bob Dylan's Christmas record of all the people that I thought would do a Christmas record. Mm. Bob Dylan is not one. His appearance in We Are the World video suggests that he is not necessarily a figure that is full of fun or goodwill. Although to be fair, I can imagine being at a recording of a charity record is pretty vexing. So I will I will give him that one. <laughs> but um, I, I I you know I just uh, that that Christmas record is a great joy simply because he's, he's grumpy old Bob Dylan singing Here Comes Santa Claus and stuff like that. It's it's, <laughs> it's I might pick, if we do a Christmassy show, I might pick one of the songs off the Bob Dylan record so we can all marvel at just how bananas it is because it is enjoyably great. But he made that Christmas record, I suspect, because he is the last person in the world that would make a Christmas record. So therefore, Bob Dylan makes a Christmas record. And part of me thinks that maybe Bob Dylan is of the same view as me, that his songs are best sung by other people. And maybe he is so bitter about that that he's flogged them off. I don't know. I don't... I mean, I, I, I can't escape my opening gamble, which is I don't really know why Bob Dylan does anything. I suppose when it comes down to it, it's his choice, isn't it? I just, I, I, I just, you know, I don't mm. really understand. Um, you know, it, it, maybe it's just saying that, um, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, um, music publishing catalogues keep going up, fewer available, revenues of publishing keep ascending. 
not many people would perhaps be able to resist the resist the the sums dangle. But the, but the thing that amuses and annoys me about that is, of course, I'm constantly told, if not by Dylan himself, but then certainly by all of the various parishioners of Church of Bob, that you know he's a singer songwriter of great integrity. That you know he's serious. You you're only a serious person if you like and fully appreciate Bob Dylan. And you don't even, you know you can't just like Bob Dylan. That's not <laughs> enough. You have to fully appreciate and understand every single bleeding inflection of bob dylan's endless songs but but you know it says here that um you know dylan's selling is disappointing because again he's the sort of person who we're told doesn't do that and interesting this little article that i saw on leftsets.com says p.s copyrights will expire when disney is willing to let mickey mouse go into the public domain a songwriter may have little political capital but the mouse house has plenty it's looking like copyrights forever and i think that's true actually my friend has a theory that nothing in law has gone mainstream until it's been on the one show the minute that powers of powers of attorney or as adrian charles called them incorrectly powers of eternity cheers adrian <laughs> as, as, as the minute they were on the one show we we had the phone rang for about three weeks after powers of attorney were on the one show once mickey mouse doesn't have copyright that's when copyright is over i completely agree with that in the meantime it's still this massive ponzi scheme which people at the top benefit and people at the bottom don't and maybe bob maybe pure old bob dylan want some of that pie i'm sorry terence it's how i feel (laughs) it is very peculiar because every penny that dylan's music earns radio plays streaming uh streaming platforms music in uh, music i suppose we call it in stores when they play (laughs) i mean i would call it music but that's just because i'm not a fan no album singles none of that now goes to dylan and i think the worst of it is um is it frees up the new owner in this case universal music to license any dylan music it wishes to be used in Mm. commercials movies tv shows and we were only talking last week about the butchery committed on the beach boys wouldn't it be nice in a current uk tv commercial not good not good no but apart from this is becoming widespread. It is really rather mm. odd because apart from Universal Music, there's another company, um, Hypnosis, who annoyingly oh. spell their name H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S. Oh. I knew Hypnosis, you were going to come up with some rubbish yeah. like that, for God's sake. <laughs> They've been buying up back catalogues as well. And this year, Hypnosis have bought 197 Blondie songs, 900 mm. Barry Manilow tunes and others by... <laughs> Uh, who, who knew there were 900 Barry Manilow? I mean, that, that, is, that is my boggling takeaway yeah. this evening. There are 900 tunes by Barry Manilow, the bloke that, r- that sung I Write the Songs but didn't actually write it, has written 900 tunes. That's, that is mental. But, but others that have gone for the, for the, for the um, pieces of silver, Bon Jovi, Beyonce, mm. Ed Sheeran, many, many others. You know, I, I mean, I don't know if Harold Macmillan was a fan of Bob Dylan, but I, I, I can't help but feel. I, have, yeah, I mean, if he wasn't, that is very much, that's one of the only things I will be, I will be in agreement on <laughs> with Harold Macmillan, I should think. I think we might be in the same place on that. I can't help but think he would have advised against selling his talent and his history in this way. And I do wonder if in his later years, he's 79 now, when Dylan hears his music selling fast food or mm. mattresses or guns or something, whether he may have cause to regret this uh, move altogether. 
Well, it'd be interesting to see if Bob Dylan, you know, he don't forget the, the, the you know, the don't look back aspect of Bob mm. Dylan. Maybe, maybe it's to his credit. Maybe I've got Bob Dylan completely wrong. And um, I don't think I have, but maybe I have. And, you know, and he's, and he's just, you know, he's just someone that is continually moving forward and doesn't want to look back. I don't know. It's, it's uh, of course, if there is a more serious dimension to this, which is perhaps, you know, who knows maybe you know uh, you know maybe, maybe something awful is about to happen with Bob Dylan I don't know then I am very sorry I've been so rude about him but um but you know f- fingers crossed that, it, that, that that all is well and this is just yet another weird Bob Dylan curveball for no apparent reason well coming up next are television viewers stupid I mean, uh, again are... this is the shortest podcast we've ever made I think because well we'll be answering answer. our own question <laughs> Um, that's right after this splendid track from Ego LMA.
an artist that was familiar to me until yesterday, but I heard that song. I think it might have been on a um, it might have been a, a, a no, it wasn't a Spotify playlist. It, interestingly, I've I've become almost like a teenager in consuming trendy social media. And there's a, an Instagram account that I follow that's called something like the Bechdel Test, named after the the, the, the test mm. in film. And it it they're posting an advent calendar of sort of a different female artist every day. And they posted this song by by Ego LMA yesterday. And I wasn't familiar with her or the song particularly, but I just instantly fell for it. I just thought it was brilliant. And uh, it, the, I, the last time I heard a, a song that really grabbed me like that, the last two that I heard that, that I felt, wow, this is amazing, was uh, Pharaoh by Rosie Lowe, which I think we played on the podcast previously, and uh, Boys by Lizzo, which again we've played mm-hmm. previously. That it was, It's up there with those, I think. And, and everyone that I've sent it to has just loved it. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant track. So that was... Ego LMA and girls don't always sing about boys and I think it's lyric is is enjoyable and 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 deep as well actually yes she's got a lovely voice and it is in as you say a very strong message and she won a MOBO award last week best jazz oh wow Mm. oh super I mean I wouldn't call that jazz personally but then but then awards I thought it was uh, me I thought that doesn't mm. sound like uh, the old jazz genre that I would know but these days I you know I suppose if it's slow and moody you you, you know you call it jazz I don't mm. know I mean they I think they are trying to expand the parameters of jazz mm. to pull young more young people into it maybe people said the or same it. thing in the 50s and 60s when mm. when there was stuff being categorized as jazz that wasn't Dixieland say or, or yeah. piano rags or that sort of thing maybe it's always a form like all music that will keep evolving I'm not sure there are there are other young Young modern jazz bands that I would say were modern jazz I you know who knows I, I I never quite understand award show categories anyway they often seem to be rather random but um but that doesn't detract from that track which I think is lovely no it doesn't matter what we call it it's just a lovely as I say lovely sound and Great a very record. good yep. uh, very good message with it um now it's a simple question are people stupid or <laughs> perhaps simple answer I think <laughs> Are some people stupid? Or to be even more accurate, are some people who watch television stupid? Mm. And the reason I ask this question is because the culture secretary here in the UK, Oliver Dowden, the the latest in a disappointing selection of conservative culture secretaries, (laughs) has said that the Netflix series, The Crown, should have a disclaimer stating that it's a work of fiction. And he says, and I quote, without this, I fear a generation of viewers who did not live through these events may mistake fiction for fact, end of quote. So perhaps it's a question of who is actually stupid here, television viewers or Mr. Dowden. Um, Now, I haven't been following The Crown through its first three seasons, but in the interest of research, I dived in this week and watched the first few episodes of season Mm. four, which is what he's most concerned about. Yes, this is the one that's that's in the news at the moment. Yes, and I I wonder if the viewers around the world really believe that Gillian Anderson, with a a spitting image style act, (laughs) whether whether Gillian Anderson led the Conservative Party in the 1980s and whether people around the world believe that the Queen is Olivia Colman and her sister was Helena <laughs> Bonham Carter. Are people stupid, Jules? Well, I think there's possibly a slightly more subtle dimension to this. Oh. I'm not saying that I agree with Oliver Dowden, because that is not a sentence I ever really want to say oh. or have to follow through. If you want an answer to whether Oliver Dowden is stupid, I can give you a quote today from his latest media round. I can't believe they're still sending him out, but they are, apparently. He went on Good Morning Britain this morning, paying tribute to showbiz icon, the, 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 the sadly departed Dame Barbara Windsor. Mm. He said, and I am actually quoting, I've got video in which he says this, 
She was the finest landlady the old Vic ever saw. Oh, good God. So, if you want the answer to whether Oliver Dowden is stupid, I think that's your answer. When it comes to the answer... Where do they find these people? Where do they find them? I mean... Who knows? And and it's almost like, and I have had experience of this fairly recently with with um, with a, a civil service applying proce- process. It's like they take the. It's like they ask people what their interests are. They, I think they do this in government, and they go, "Oh, who can we put in that job that has no connection, absolutely no affinity, or has expressed any interest in this brief? We'll give them that." Anybody that thinks, and I'm not saying that you have to know all culture as a as a culture secretary, but anybody that genuinely thinks that the pub in EastEnders is the same name as a West End theatre has no interest in culture, really. I never get the impression that Oliver Dowden really understands what is going on with culture. It's almost like in the early episodes of The Thick of It, when Chris Langham was still the minister, it's like when when they, he is urged, he becomes a culture minister, and it's urged to watch what they call the Zeitgeist tape, which is a videotape of everything that's going on in culture in 15 minutes. And I get the impression that Oliver Dowden didn't even yeah. watch the whole Zeitgeist tape. The point that he's making, though, and maybe there is a kernel of truth in it i'm not saying he's expressing a way i don't think it's necessarily a case of people thinking that julian anderson was the prime minister i think that's a little bit reductive what it might be a case of is people thinking and i think oliver dowden might be coming from the angle of it's disrespectful to the royal family Mm. i'm more relaxed about that i don't really mind about that but actually what is interesting there are different schools of thoughts on this there are some people and i think lucy worsley has said along these lines that that some historians that think that anything that get people or most things that get people interested and engaged in history and finding out more about the past are a good thing. Lucy Worsley always says that her programmes are, she hopes to be a gateway drug. She says that occasionally people write to her and say they saw her programmes on TV and they enjoyed them. So they did an evening class on history and then they went on and now they're doing a degree or something. But I think there is a danger. Historical dramas are really popular and that is perhaps the best way of engaging people with, with history. That is a thing if you've got a big Sunday night drama that's had a, a wadded ton of money splashed on it by the BBC that people watch in the winter that might be a way of triggering people's interest in the Russian revolution in the case of war and peace you know and 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 and, and, and you know France in the case of the admittedly rather terrible Versailles but still that that had the that, that had like a synth pop soundtrack didn't it it was all very strange anyway so so i can and of course in those in those dramas people then take historic license um there is a little bit of a danger i think sometimes if if you've got these these dramas that are purporting to be historical dramas and then i mean all history is disputed that is that is history is different people's version of events and whoever's got the loudest voice version wins which is why again lucy worthy said in the past that history is written by winners which means it's mostly written by dead white guys by and large but but you know it's it's you know that history is always a point of view and you know to some it's there are some historical events that are accepted there are others that are more disputed because different people in different places and different kind of moral positions have a different point of view on them i get that but i do feel that where you've got historical dramas which portray stuff and and i I can't quote this in detail i've watched some of the crown but not all of it but but it doing stuff that actually never happens particularly where it's in living memory i think 
if they are, you know, saying, oh, this is a historical drama, and, and, and I think there is an element with The Crown, and it mm. is sold. It's not sold like, the. I have to say, that it's great, the, the brilliant Windsors on E4, which is this kind of satirical kind of comedy about the royal family. And they are pretty clear on that, that the Windsors is not real life. You know, Hayden Gwynn horsing around as, as Camilla Parker Bowles. It is meant very much as a comedy. It's not as a satire. It's not meant as, a, or just a bit of fun. It's not meant as a real drama. I think there is a little bit of a danger that when something is presenting itself as a historical drama historical drama is slightly different to a drama i think historical dramas often have quite a lot of kudos don't they they're the kind of the big budget things Mm. the serious things look at us we're serious about making tv at the bbc this is why we've commissioned a 20 episode remake of i don't know um you know something that is based on historical not just a literary adaptation but something that's based on you know history that's a really bit like war and peace for example that's a really big thing and because you're 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 wanting the kudos of making a historical drama, I think if you're making historical drama, the part of the deal is is that that's going to at least bear some resemblance to to a version of events, no matter how disputed. And I think there are instances in the Crown where stuff that simply didn't happen is being presented as if it did happen. And I can understand. I'm not I'm not saying that Oliver Downing is right about everything, but I can understand a kernel of concern about that. If you put a thing at the beginning, basically saying, you know this is all true apart from the stuff that we made up then that's and that's fine you know i can understand that but even if you put that up it doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily a get out clause to go as far as you like i think and i know that drama is drama but when it's present i I do think that historical drama is a particular genre that comes with it a level of kudos and if you want that level of kudos and you have to play by the rules that your historical drama is going to be historical rather than necessarily fiction it my all-time fave of this was and i'm gonna have to look this up because i can never remember there was there was a film a war film i think it was in the 90s that was called something like u3571 or something like that it was it was and it was about a sort of a a, a wartime thing that was set with submarines and u-boats and basically the whole thing at the end they put up a thing on screen that basically went oh this didn't happen like this it wasn't america that did this mission it was germany or or whatever it was and the whole thing that had been presented as a kind of a you know a war film and it it, it, based on real life events they did this based on real life events thing at the end they went oh no it wasn't actually it didn't happen (laughs) like that at all it wasn't it wasn't america it was someone else oh sorry about that anyway hope you enjoyed our film well, I did until that point. It's it's yeah. I, I, so I so whilst like you, I think that 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 Oliver, Oliver Down is all I will say is indicative of the quality of this cabinet that one has come to expect. Um, I I can see the point that he is making, even if he hasn't made it very well. But I do think the historical dramas do carry a certain level of weight that they have to cash. I think. I'm not sure about this at all because I, that, I'm, <laughs> I knew, I'm sorry I knew that, you then. weren't sold on this, but go I'm, on, not, go on. I'm not so sure because I mean, having worked a bit in film and TV, I certainly know that some viewers get rather carried away, and we used to get <laughs> yes. we used to get some rather nasty letters at Central TV when I worked on Spitting Image. I mean, com, um, complaints that the portrayals of people were inaccurate when, of course, they weren't supposed to be television equivalents of Madame Two Swords, and no, I think that's what the point about doing, fiction. 
although having said that, I, I, I'm going to push back slightly on this. Mm. You were doing satire. So you were. So I mean, I agree that they were stupid to say that. But satirising something, the whole point of satire is that to some extent you are distorting things because you're zooming in on certain things and pointing out the absurd. That 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 is a different satire is a different thing to historical dramas. I think you're not you're not purporting that that is real. I don't think. No, no, I understand that. I mean, I, someone, I, someone I know, an, an actor, um, Gareth, his name is, he played a character in a BBC series called Torchwood about 10 years ago, didn't oh, yes, see it yeah. himself. But um, when his character was killed off, um, he told me that people began sort of like internet campaigns and petitions oh, to get him. Oh, it was Bring Back Ianto, wasn't that's it? That's him, now. yeah. Yes. Bring him back somehow. I mean, plenty of actors who have played baddies on tv or in movies have stories about being shouted at in the street in the days or weeks after their character behaves badly and people i just feel like people blurring blurring the lines between fact and fiction well it can have terrible consequences there was that guy uh what was it hinkley that guy hinkley who tried to shoot oh, ronald yes. reagan to impress oh, yes, jo- jodie foster because he become obsessed with her or i suppose more accurately her character in the movie um the taxi driver but uh, no just going back to the crown i mean i mean i think this this makes my point um rather uh, rather worryingly a magazine this week ran an online poll asking about the crown and 47 percent of people that answered said they were unable to tell if the crown was real or not so i mean that in its own, its own perhaps answers answers the question I don't know. Having said that, though, it's fiction. I mean, Gillian Anderson. But they're basing it on real events, aren't they? And we're not saying that people think that Gillian Anderson is prime minister. They don't. What people think is that events that are expressed in the crown as having having happened to people in real life, the royal family, happened when they didn't. They are not just a different perception or a fictional retelling. They are completely made up. Say at the beginning that it is made up. I'm beginning to come round to Oliver Downing's (laughs) point of view on this, simply because... It just goes to show a stopped clock is right twice a day. But I, but you say it's fiction. What I'm saying, which I, I don't think you're quite landing with you, is mm. that it is history. It's stuff that happened. It's no, not like that, people are making If you're going to say it has to be solidly accurate if you're making something of this nature. But I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there's a difference between taking a different perspective on something and completely making something if you completely make something up in amongst stuff that did happen there is something that I'm a little bit uncomfortable if you're going to make something fiction make it completely fiction I don't think mixing facts and fiction is that sensible when it comes to the telling of history but you may as well in that case not bother with this uh, whole approach of of making tv dramas about historical events just just do a documentary and well i think i think i mrs thatcher and the queen at the time and and well, just I, have I, think, a... I think i'd be quite happy with that personally the alternative is and again i'm sorry this is the lucy words you show this week but anyway and i'm sorry i'm such a poor substitute but anyway she um she's got a thing that she does where that her dramas her her sort of documentaries she did a great series on this on the six wives and what she would do was she would was she would talk about you know 
perceptions of each wife and blah, 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 and they'd talk about it. And then there would occasionally be scenes where they, where they were played by actors who would deliver dialogue that actually happened. I'm happy with that. I don't think anything beyond that is that great. Personally. No offence, but how on earth do we know that dialogue actually happened in 15? Well, well, tr- well, well, true, but it is. But but quite often, more often than not, they do. Um, they do actually show. Um, well, it wouldn't have happened in 1511 because Henry VIII had died by that point. But having said that, I think he had anyway. But having said that, what they did do is they did do. Um, they, I mean, they, they occasionally show sort of documents. They say, oh, we've got this doc from the time that shows, yeah, may, maybe the dialogue didn't actually happen, but I'm far more comfortable when you've got people, when you've got historians there that are showing you big vellum documents saying, oh, this is this, this, that. I don't know. I just, I, 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 I do think that, that silly old Oliver Dowden that thinks that Barbara, Barbara Windsor run the old Vic, to be fair, I wish Barbara Windsor had run the old Vic Theatre. I think that would have been amazing. But anyway, I'd, I'd, I don't know. I wonder if Sidney Oliver's got a point here, although uh, although I suspect we may end up agreeing to disagree. Yes, I think we may have to. But one <laughs> thing we can agree on is that in 1511, 11, Henry VIII was uh, 20 years old. So oh, very much alive. I take, I take, in which case, a silly old Julia Harris. Maybe I could take over from silly old Oliver Dowden. I've clearly got the right level of intellectual capacity. <laughs> Coming up next, the peculiar world of Van Morrison and Eric Clapton. Oh, why are you picking everyone I hate this week? For God's sake! <laughs> That's right after this lovely atmospheric song from Jethro Tull. When you've fallen awake And you take stock of the new day And you hear your voice croak As you choke on what you need to say Well, don't you fret, don't you fear I will give you good cheer Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song If you wait then you play it I will feel As the verses unfold And your soul suffers the long day and the twelve o'clock gloom spins the room You struggle on your way Well, don't you sigh, don't you cry Lick the dust from your eye Life's a long song Life's a long song Life's a long song We will meet in the sweet light of dawn As the Baker Street train Spills your pain all over your new dress And the symphony sounds on the ground But you wanted you a rest Well, don't you squeal as the heel Grinds you under the
There's something wonderfully rural and wintry about that track, I think. Uh, perhaps it's the reflective nature of the lyrics. From late 1971, oh. number 11 on the UK charts, Jethro Tull and Life's a Long Song. That's a lovely choice. I really enjoyed that. It was it was not new to me, but I hadn't heard it in a very, very long time. And it was really nice to hear it. And get ready, Terence, you'll like this pun. One could say with your musical choices, Terence, that this week you are somewhat living in the past oh, 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 oh. do you see do you see i thought i'd do the explain you know everyone else yeah, explains to me i thought i'd take a turn but uh, no that's a that's a really good choice i do like jeff rotel i must admit their their bands are not terribly fat i mean the, isn't it strange these bands like free and jethro toll they were terribly fashionable to like at the time i should think and they're not very fashionable to like now Absolutely. They were obviously hugely uh, oh. popular at the time and um, the, the sort of, uh, yes, in, in vogue with, with, with the youth. Um, but then Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, your punk rock came along and, and mm. not so much people that loved those bands, but I think more journalists and the media decided that yeah. Jethro Tull and so, Free yeah. and all those sort of bands yeah. are so no longer acceptable in was, polite society. Um, when, of course, it was absolute nonsense. And uh, yeah, as I've said before, people would go into a record store by an album by the damned and by an album by bad company at the same time so you know there was no none of this prejudice from actual uh, music lovers (laughs) actual people that bought records who presumably thought that Jethro Tull was real anyway (laughs) (laughs) now I know we're supposed to forgive and forget but I find that aphorism (laughs) a little difficult when it comes to Eric Clapton because it's not exactly the season of goodwill on the podcast this week is it but I don't I don't disagree with you this is a moment where we'll be back in step I think not with Eric Clapton, because I spent a fair bit of time in the late 1970s supporting and helping Rock Against Racism, a movement founded mm. uh, at a difficult time in Britain. It was set up following a declaration on stage by Eric Clapton in which he, um, what would I say, espoused extreme racist views, usually connected to people uh, mm. associated with fascist ideology and uh, movements. And he's continued to state watered down versions of these mm. views in more recent years along the lines of um, that old, you know, the old uh, favourite, I'm not a racist, but uh, type thing. Mm. Now, I say this from the outset to highlight I've never been a fan and were it possible for him to fall even further, now he turns up with his latest uh, track written by Van Morrison. Described- I mean, what a com- I mean, if, I, I can't because we all know about the views that they both have and have expressed. Mm. I just I, I started having a small panic attack just reading the email that you'd sent me say, that just said Van Morrison and Eric Clapton have done a song together. And you just think, oh, no. Oh, what's it going to be? Oh, God. Well, it's described as an anti-lockdown song. And just before we find out what Juliet makes of all this, let's bring the mood down by hearing the <laughs> shortest of short snippets of Stand and Deliver. Is this a sovereign nation or just a fascist state? You better look out people or it gets too late. Stand and Deliver, Dick Turpin wore a mask too. Um, Jules, is Eric Clapton's new single, it's going to be on your Christmas wish list, surely. <laughs> What's it? I mean, I, the look on my face at the moment, ironically, <laughs> is like Bob Dylan in the We Are The World video. I suddenly understand Bob and where he is coming from. Oh, I mean, 
what what do you even say? You know, what 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 can we possibly say? And actually, I I do worry that, and we'll, I was talking about this with someone the other day. I do worry that the part of the reason that we are where we are. I can't remember who was that said this the other day. That you know, oh, oh, that was it. I think it was Robert Crampton on the Times Red Box podcast, which is very good actually. I enjoy listening to it. And they were talking about this Oxford Union thing and the idea of you know of them basically saying the Dons overturned this idea that you know everybody has to have an outlet for their views. And Robert Crampton actually said, you know what? There are some people who I think views are so vile and actually so stupid. I don't think it's just a case of me agree- disagreeing with them. I think object they are dangerous and stupid and damaging and I know I don't think those people should be given a platform and and I just I just think you know it, it, it this is where I find the music business to be truly amoral I mean I know it is anyway but this idea that people I mean it is rubbish this song it is not in the least bit listenable uh, even before you get to the dreadful dreadful dangerous horrible unpleasant just a, a, a shameful lyrics you know uh, uh, during a pandemic in which many 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 people have died and let's be you know honest and and sadly honest about this many more people probably will die before this is over this whole thing whenever it is over if it is even over if you see what i mean uh, you know the fact that they are going to try and rake in as much money as they can and by making this absolute rot that is not just a rubbish record it's a dangerous record as well and the fact that other people are willing to give them the studio time and the resources to do this in the hope that it will make them money as well even if they think it's guff they still think it will sell i just hate it you know and and, and this is why you know lots of people might think i'm you know i'm sure there are people that are crossing my view than bob Dylan, but this is why it just gets my back up this generation of you know men that make a vi- and it usually is men let's be honest occasionally patty smith grumbles off in this direction but she usually manages to wake her way back but you know this idea that it's it's usually is men that you know there are two types of men that i find particularly wearing you know men that think they're funny and base their whole personality around how funny they are you know if you have to say you're something you're not in my view and i find that there's a certain type of aged man kind of aren't i a card type thing that I just find so wearing, so dispiriting. I don't want it near me. Take it away. It's just, you know, there's no need for this. Um, and, and, and the other thing is this kind of, you know, men who use the platform that they have, you know, oh, look at me. I'm so alternative. I know I find this whole anti-establishmentism of our age and particularly around this, um, this coronavirus thing, particularly amongst people on the left, and it's not a left view, it's an anti-establishment view. This idea that the left and the right are now united as they were by being sort of pro-Brexit, by being kind of, oh, well, of course, what the establishment don't tell you is, but I'm really clever, so I actually know this, and I know more than you. So, you know, you should be like me and not, you know, wake up, sheeple. I hate the whole (laughs) wake up, sheeple thing. I just (laughs) loathe it. And I just think that, you know, why are we still listening to these clowns whose best days are behind them by at least 30 years, if not more? Why are we still giving them airtime? Why have they still got a platform? What are they saying that is anything of use whatsoever? Nothing at all. Nothing in this is helpful. Nothing in this is accurate. This is just, you know, a, a path- 
pathetic whine from stupid or, or if not stupid they should know better people that claim to be you know public figures of importance just you know sounding off their own stupid ill-informed ivory tower views and hoping to make money out of it and so do the people around them i hate this I hope that no one buys it and I wish they'd just go away from public life because I really don't see the need for them now. They may have been important once. They're not anymore. If you can't behave with any modicum of kind of decency or any kind of gravitar or, or any kind of, you know, reasonable behavioural standards that someone would expect of you, then just bog off because the world is not for you anymore. Just go away. I've had enough. Yes, he's a peculiar and unlikable man. I mean, to release this in the week when, as you mentioned, when COVID deaths have gone over one and a half million worldwide seems ill advised. More, more people died in America one day this week than they did at Pearl Harbor. Yes, yes. But, you know, with Eric Clapton, I mean, I, you know, I was just thinking, oh, yes, you tell us all about how to live our lives from your hurt Absolutely. with edge estate in Surrey, mate. Right, the, thing, yes. the thing with Eric Clapton that has always bemused me about his I'm not a racist but views is that it's all so odd considering he's built his career if we put that nicely some would say borrowed his career um Quite, from taking yes. from black artists and Quite. covering their work that's the thing that really yes. surprises me that he can't quite see the link there something i've learned <laughs> over the yeah. years is that despite the earnestness of pop stars their music when 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 it's infused with political messages mm. rarely if ever, brings about any tangible change. You can look from the Beatles' mm. revolution, the Stone Street Fighting Man, the Clash, the Pistols, Grandmaster Flash, Bob Marley. The world carries on and governments carry on pretty much as they did before. And often, as was the case perhaps with Rock Against Racism and similar movements, the same mistake is repeated. Um, and we've talked about this before in terms of um, local sort of national politics in, in Great Britain, which is yeah. preaching to the converted. Mm. Um, that's not to diminish the message, but I do question the effectiveness, just as from the opposite direction, the vast, overwhelming majority of the world, I think, to put everyone at their ease, I think will ignore Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. Well, I, I, bizarre well, I really message. hope so. I know. And, and, and the thing is, they're not relevant anymore. And, and, and part of the reason why they're not relevant is this complete self-indulgent nonsense, frankly. I, 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 largely, ta I largely agree with you on the, on the idea of, you know, preaching to the converted. I think where it can work occasionally, and I'm aware that the song itself and the lyrics have not aged well. I absolutely mm. understand that. But I think that Live Aid and the, the Do They Know That's Christmas and the mm. subsequent Live Aid was, I think, more of a success. I'm not saying it was an unqualified success. I'm not saying that the the the, the proceeds that it that it uh, raised were spent wisely. I think well, there was a the naivety thing. around that. I do understand that. I know that I am I'm qualifying this a lot. But I think what I did like and admire about Did I Know It's Christmas and Live Aid is that rather than preaching to the converted, which I agree that most of this kind of rock power to the people style music does, I I actually think that they were shining a light on something that people knew very little about. And actually, my, you know, Live Aid in, in, in itself meant a lot to my parents. They've still got, I think we've still got the original vinyl of Do They Know It's Christmas. I was born in September 84, and the usual proviso, I'm really sorry if my age upsets you, but equally, it's not really my fault I was born then. So, so you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is what, how it is, guys. I'm not very interested in it, makes you really better, but I do live like an 80-year-old. But anyway, I am, um, I, uh, so I was... 
<laughs> three months old at Christmas 84, three or four months old. So you didn't and... know it was Christmas time at all either. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know what my own hands were. Never no. mind anything else. But um, very good, Terrence. That, that that's a eight and a half out of ten, I think. <laughs> Possibly a nine for execution. But um. But I, um, my parents, actually, my mum actually said to me that when Live Aid took place that next summer, when I was barely, I wasn't even a year old, she said they actually ended up giving quite a lot of money. I suspect possibly more than they could afford at the time because they were so struck by the footage of starving children, I think particularly the bit, was, yeah. a bit the Cars sequence. I think particularly yeah. that everybody talks uh, about. David and, Bowie introduced yes, it. Yes, yeah. absolutely, and and yeah, and and the who's going to drive here and the, and the footage. Yeah. They were very, very struck having a very young child of how. But you're sorry to interrupt. I think that's what did it. That's what made having been there at the time. Or, yes. you know, that I think that's what did it. It was the footage of the the starving but, but, people, but what, the children, yeah, not what, the pop but, stars. No, no. Although having said that, the combination of the music and the footage was a powerful one. But I do take your point. But I suppose what the, the pop stars were using their platform, oh, yes. uh, you know, their collective platform, to shine a light on footage of a situation that people didn't know anything about but were completely shocked at what was happening because in the case of people like my parents life is a lottery when you're born as John O'Farrell put it once you wake up and you at the beginning of your life and you metaphorically scratch off the lottery ticket and if you've got white westerner that's a win and if you've got peasant in Ghana that's probably a loss and 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 I think that it re- that that was that Live Aid worked in the sense that it used a platform to give to shine a light on a cause that people didn't know about and i think where where you're right that a lot of pop political pop music falls down is that it's just so trite isn't it when you've got things that all we are saying is give peace a chance do you know what john and yoko i probably could have worked that out you know i think the problem is is that it's 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 never actually singing you know it's never actually telling you anything really interesting it's never telling you anything new it's never exposing you to that kind of rock music posturing is never exposing you to a new place and a a new situation and a a desperate injustice it's always painted with such a broad brush i think that it ends up ultimately but as the beatles said half of what i say is meaningless Yes, imagine those possessions sung by a man singing from a room inside a house inside the biggest <laughs> estate in yes. Berkshire. Yes. Right. Um, thanks very much for listening this week and indeed any week. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So always a pleasure, never a chore to have you along. I'm sorry Terence and I shouted at each other this week. I feel like talking to children, but we still love each other very much. Don't worry. Now, now the thing is, Jules, as clearly you won't be out in Soho with Kate Burley <laughs> and Beth Rigby. I mean, not this uh, time. I mean, I am slighted at not having been invited. I'm mm. sorry if I didn't make that clear. Well, then, I'm, if you're not doing that, I'm sure you will have time to present another couple of hours of wintry smoothness. Well, indeed. I was planning to open with Eric Clapton and Van Morrison. What do you think? <laughs> but um, no, there will, there, will not be, uh, there will not be any such artists appearing on my show. God, do you think if Eric Clapton knew he was going to receive a lifetime ban from smooth sailing, he'd have gone ahead and released yeah, that record? That, that he might have made all twice, the difference. Might have thought twice. Him and, him and Van, you know, Van the Can or whatever he is, they might, they might have, you know, they might have thought, well, do you know what? 
I would like to be on Juliet Smooth Sailing. So, well, guess what, guys? You blew it. So, uh, so other people that are, maybe the people that I play on Smooth Sailing, uh, maybe some of them are not very nice. Who knows? Anyway, I will be playing two hours on my mix of the channel, mixlr.com, of just really nice, smooth, relaxing music uh, that's uplifting as well, that's enjoyable for a Sunday evening. So, yacht rock, classic pop, that sort of thing. 7 till 9 p.m. on Sunday. If you go to mixer.com and search for Juliet Harris, my name, you'll find my channel and pop along. People have a nice chat in the chat and it's and it's just it's a it's a pleasant way to wind down for a couple of hours on a Sunday evening. And to play us out, uh, Jules, hmm. a band who named themselves after one of your favourite items of clothing. Ah, uh, you see, Terence, I see exactly what you did there. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I am a noted uh, cardigan fan. I, uh, and we're in the season where knitwear is very appropriate, I think, particularly <laughs> for those of us that are working at home but not necessarily wanting to bear the heating costs of that. Uh, cardigans have come in very handy, it has to be said. I'm a big fan of cardigans, So, uh, uh, which brings us on to this lovely group, who I think are really underrated, actually. I remember a, a, power, a friend of the show, if we're going to use that lovely phrase, uh, Adrian, saying to me once when I used to do an indie music show, and I quite frequently play the cardigans, he said to me once, Every time you play the Cardigans, it sounds like an entirely different band. And I think they are one of the most versatile bands of recent years. I think they're at an end now. It certainly seems like they are. But um, they produced a number of albums over a number of years that experimented with different sounds, but always have brilliant, brilliant songwriting. I think, well, they are Swedish after all. Although hilariously, um, you say, do people believe that television is film is real? They named their first album Emmerdale because although they weren't, they, they weren't English, they were huge fans. Maybe we'll have to ask Nina Pearson if she thinks that uh, that that uh, that uh, that hot and 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 you know and such like are real places. But anyway, who knows? If she thinks Hotton is a real place, I'm quite a fan of Nina. So maybe maybe I might get on board with it. I don't know. But anyway, when you don't find them propping up the bar of the Wolfpack, you will find the Cardigans are being played on this show now. I I absolutely love this song. I think it is such um such a sort of a, uh, it's weirdly laid back but there's also something quite menacing and spooky about it they're very good at doing lots of things at once from the album Emmerdale these are the cardigans and this is Our Space
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is a blowing.